Okay, was that like just like absolutely crazy? I mean, that is like a boatload of little kids. Um, has it been nine months since bringing sexy back? Is that what? <laughs> I'm just going. You guys were wondering how we're growing this church. So, okay, so here's the deal. Husband and wife get in one of those arguments. You know what I'm talking about, one of those arguments where you can't remember what you started fighting over in the first place, and, 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 and it just keeps escalating and, and, and going further, and, and finally they get to that moment when, when you shift into silent mode. Now, none of us has ever done that, but this couple did that. And, uh, and so now the contest is, who's going to break first? Who's going who's to give in and talk first? So they, they continue it the rest of the evening, and, and now uh, it's, it's time, uh, you know, head off to bed, and the husband realizes he's got to get up early in the morning and catch an airplane and fly uh, to a business. He's up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and uh, he needs his wife to remind him, help him get up in the morning, and, but there's no way he's given in. There's no way he's breaking the silence. So uh, he finds a piece of paper, and he writes his wife a little note, and he says, uh, would you please uh, wake me up at 5 o'clock in the morning? And then he puts the note in a place where he knows uh, that she's going to see it. Next morning, uh, he wakes up, 9 o'clock. Uh, he's, he's missed the plane. He is furious out of his mind. He gets up out of bed, starts to head uh, into the living room to find his wife, and, and happens to notice right there on the nightstand next to where he was sleeping, a note, which simply says, it's 5 o'clock, wake up. Okay, so we've been talking and we've been uh, spending time uh, dealing with this whole marriage thing. And what we've said is that you guys realize that this is a challenge because uh, men come to this relationship thinking like men, processing information like men. The reality is men hear blue and they speak blue uh, to one another and they process life through blue filters. And women come to this thing called marriage and they think pink and they process pink and they speak pink. And sometimes those cultures, those languages which come back and forth are absolutely contradictory uh, to each other. And so there's struggle. And the reality is, is that uh, as a couple comes to marriage, you realize we all come with lists. See, he came with a list. He, he, he had this thing that, that in his mind was what a perfect marriage looked like, and, and he had a list. And, and chances are he never really communicated it. He just figured you would understand it, and, and he had a list uh, of what a perfect marriage, perfect wife, perfect life was all about. She had a list. Okay? Uh, since she was a little girl, she's dreamed about what's that perfect home like, what, what was that perfect relationship like, and, and she had a list. And she came to this relationship hoping that this marriage was going to be fulfilling of that list. The problem is this. As we both wait for the other person to decipher our code and fulfill our list, it gets us on what we call the crazy cycle. Uh, he doesn't meet an expectation. She feels deeply unloved. He, uh, she then responds because she feels deeply unloved in ways that sound disrespectful to his heart. Because he feels he's been disrespected, he responds in ways that look incredibly unloving to her. And, and around and around and around we go. So we said, is there a way to get off the crazy cycle? Is there a way to change all this within the relationship between a man and a woman? And last week, uh, if you remember, uh, 
Scripture said, yeah, uh, there's a way to get off the crazy cycle. And it was Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. You don't have to go there. Uh, but it basically just simply said this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Jesus Christ. What God says, look, look, look. You want to know how to get out of the crazy cycle in your relationship? It's simple. Submit the list. And so last week we said, look, guys, if you would be willing to take your list of expectations, all the things you said, this is what the perfect wife is like, this is what the perfect marriage looks like, this is how it, if you would take your list and if you would bring it and submit it, if you would simply in that moment say, I love you enough, I care about you enough, that I'm going to let your list be the first list, be the top of the list. And if I don't do anything else right in my life, if I don't succeed, if, if, I, don't move, if I don't do anything else right, I'll fill the list. And we just talked about the incredible power, the absolutely, you ready, transforming power. If a man was willing to say to his wife, I'll let my list be number two and your list be number one. I'll submit my list to you. We said this week we're going to come back and we're going to go the other direction. What would happen if a wife said, I've got a list. I, I got a list that I have dreamed about since I was a little girl. But I'm willing to take my list, make my list number two to your list. And, and if I don't do anything else well as a woman, I want to be the wife. I want to be the helpmate that you have always dreamed of having at your side. My list can be number two. I'll make your list number one. So we just want to talk today, what would that mean? What would that look like? What, what would that be in the life of a woman if she was doing that for the man that she loved? So here's the things. Here's the things that you need to know that your man is desperately, desperately, desperately hoping that you know about the list and what it would look like for his list to be the list. Number one. Number one on the list of a man. Honor. Honor. Now, we've said this back and forth. We've, we've and my desperate fear is this, that ladies, you'll hear me say that and not understand the depth at which this is at issue in the hearts of your men. Let's see if I can help. You're, you're leaving church tonight, and I just want you to imagine for a moment, you're walking across the patio with your nine-year-old daughter, and as you're leaving church and walking across the patio with your nine-year-old daughter, you say to her, hey, honey, I just want you to know I love you. The natural, intuitive response of that nine-year-old little girl, she's going to reach over. She's going to grab an arm. She's going to draw near. And remember last week when we talked, we said, you know, one of the things that women desperately, desperately, desperately hope from their men is affection, affectionate touch. And she will naturally, intuitively respond to those words, honey, I love you, by drawing near. You're walking across the patio, nine-year-old son, and you say to your nine-year-old son, hey, I just wanted to tell you today, you know, we're getting to leave church, and I just wanted to tell you, hey, I, I really, really do love you. 
Anybody want to guess how that nine-year-old boy is going to respond to those words? Hey, what's for dinner? Can I play with my friends when we get home? Because it doesn't touch the soul of a young man. But say this to that nine-year-old boy. Hey, I watched you at church tonight. Can I just tell you how proud I am of you? You're growing up to be quite a young man. The entire demeanor of that nine-year-old boy will change. <laughs> because you just touched his soul. Because, 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 because. Deep within the heart of every man, whether he is nine or 99, is the desire to be admired. Years ago, I'm, I'm driving down the road. We'd only been back here for a little while, and I'm, I'm doing one of those father-son moments. You know, it's, it's me and Josh. And uh, just out of the quietness of the car, dad, son, Josh says this, Dad, I hate living in Chandler, Arizona. And I said, well, wait, wait a minute, why would you say that? I mean, we've got this really great house here. It's the best house we've ever lived in. You've got some really, really good friends. We, we just started this church called Cornerstone, and it's going so well. Well, Josh, why would you say that you hate to live in Chandler, Arizona? It's not like anything's ever going to happen here. To which I said, well, Josh, we've got the Ostrich Festival. <laughs> I mean... He said, Dad, it's not like we're going to get attacked by terrorists or anything. Here's what the heart of a man knew that the heart of his son had just said to him. Dad, I hate Chandler, Arizona, because I may never have a chance to save the day. I may never get the opportunity to stand in the gap and to be admired and, 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 and to be the hero, Dad, if we stay here. I hate Chandler, Arizona. Ladies, there was a day when you married him. And, and I know, I know, when you walked down that aisle, your heart had a question. Your heart said, are you the man? Are you the man that's going to love me more than anything else in this world? Are you that man? That was the question on your heart. When he stood here and waited for you, completely different question. Here's what his heart said. I hate Chandler, Arizona. Because I pretty well figured out I'm probably not going to get my chance to have a claim to save the day, to be the hero, to be admired. And as you walk down that aisle, here was this question. But would you let me be your hero? Would you let me be the admired one of your heart? 
so deep is this question in the heart of a man. There, there's, there's an amazing passage in Scripture which I think just totally deals with this. It totally reflects this absolute desire to be admired by our wives. If you've got your Bibles, go with me to 2 Samuel. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the front of your Bible and then work back to the right, you're going to find this book of 2 Samuel. Just a little clue tonight. It's, uh, it's right after 1 Samuel. Okay? If you've got 3 Samuel in your Bible, you've got a, the wrong Bible. 2 Samuel chapter 6. Let me give you some background as we get ready to go there. Uh, this is a story that probably a lot of us in this room aren't that familiar with. It's a story about David. You, David and Goliath, David, uh, shepherd boy David, who is now king of Israel. His arch nemesis, the guy who was always fighting against him, was the previous king, a guy by the name of Saul. And lo and behold, David has now ascended to being king. If you want an ironic twist in the story, David is married to Saul's daughter, and her name is Michal, or Michael, however you want to pronounce it. And here's the interesting thing. Michal absolutely loves David. Matter of fact, if you go through the story, if you read 2 Samuel tonight, uh, you'll find that over and over and over again, she loves David. Matter of fact, she loves David so much that there's a couple times in, this, in the passages where she actually rescues David from her own father. She actually deceives her own father to save him. She loves David. And it's not going to be enough. In the moment, here's what's happening. The Ark of the Covenant has been stolen from Israel. You know what I mean by the Ark of the Covenant? Raiders of the Lost Ark. You open the lid on it. If you're German, it burns your eyeballs out. You know, that Ark of the Covenant. Okay. And uh, so the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which had, by the way, uh, part of the Ten Commandments in it, had some of the manna from when the children of Israel had been going across the wilderness inside the Ark of the Covenant. And any time the children of Israel took the Ark of the Covenant with them to war, they always won the battle. The problem is sin came along, children of Israel began to stray, and God said, okay. And he allowed the Philistines to come down and capture the Ark and take it away. It was a moment of absolute embarrassment for Israel. It was, it was a moment of just disgrace. David has led his men to go back and rescue the ark, and now they're bringing glory back. They're bringing the ark back to Israel. And in the heart of David, here's what he would say, if, if I am never remembered for anything else, if, if nobody ever gives me credit for anything else in being king of Israel, let them give me credit for this, that I brought the Ark of the Covenant back. This is my best moment as a man and as a leader. I brought the Ark back. In the midst of that, so elated is David, so excited is David, the scripture says he pulled off his kingly robes. Now, I don't know why he did that. I don't know if he was worried about getting them dirty. I don't know if he was a a, a closet streaker. I don't know why, but David is now, you ready for this? Dancing down the street in front of the Ark of the Covenant in his underwear, okay? And that's where you and I join the story. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16. Here you go. As the Ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, David's wife, watched from a window and when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, 
She despised him in her heart. Now, this doesn't mean that she lost her love. It just means she lost her respect. So deep is this to the heart of a man. Jump with me down to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, get the moment, David's, David's getting ready to go home and share this moment with his wife. He's getting ready to go to McCall and say, look, McCall, the, the best thing, maybe, maybe the greatest thing I've ever done as a man, I got the Ark of the Covenant back for Israel. Will you share this moment with me? When David returned home to bless his household, McCall, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, you ready? How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, disrobing in the sight of the slave girls and of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. You get the moment? You get what David just heard? How do you think he's going to respond? Probably like any man responds when he thinks he's been deeply disrespected. Here's what he says. David said to McCall, It was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father, dig, 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 or anyone from his house, dig, 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 when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified. I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Ready for this? But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in, next word, honor. Honor. Do you, do you get what the heart of David was hoping to receive from his wife and didn't get? Honor. Look what he does next. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children till the day of her death. You get what David did. David said, no, I, I get she loves me. She just doesn't respect me. She has no honor for me. And I'm just done. He never touches her again. She has no children the day of her death. See, so deep is this within the heart and the soul of a man. Hey, ladies, you get, you get what it's like. That, that, that every room a man walks into, he asks, is there honor in this room for me? And if when he comes home, you ready? If when he comes home to bless the home, all he hears is, hey, where were you? How come you're working so Why is this so long? And how come you're not taking care of the kids? And when are you going to pay some attention? And guys, look, look, look. Ladies, I, I know you're talking pink. And, and I, know that, I know that in pink, that simply means, hey, you know what? We haven't, we haven't connected in so long, and, and, and I need you. I get that. You get what he just heard, don't you? You're failing me. You're letting me down. And if we're not careful, 
he'll say, I'm done. See, the truth is, I can please everybody else in my life. I can find honor in every other area of my life. But my wife will never be satisfied with me. And here's the, cre- here's the part that's ironic. You realize why he chose you to be his wife, right? Because there was a moment within his heart in which he said, can I be your hero? That, that, that his heart is turned toward you and he is waiting with all of his heart for your applause, for you to say to him, you are my man of honor. Now I know, look, this is a little bit hard because, see, I've got this list and, and I've got this list and he doesn't meet the list very well. He, he keeps missing the list. Isn't that exactly what Jesus is saying? He says, what if your list was second? What if giving him honor was first? Ladies, I cannot even begin to express to you the way that you will energize the heart and the soul of a man when you begin to offer him respect and honor. It literally invigorates him. It literally draws him towards you. You ever tried to train a puppy? Okay. Yeah, you decide you want to teach a puppy to fetch. So you, you, you find a stick and you go out in the front yard, you throw the stick. Puppy's doing what puppy does. <laughs> so you say to yourself, what a dumb dog. I mean, every dog knows how to fetch, right? So you look down and you go, you stupid dog, dumb dog. Let me go get that stick. And you get the stick again, and you throw the stick. Now the dog's going blind. Dumb dog. Stupid dog. You do that a couple days. What do you think the dog's going to do the next time you go to get a stick? Have a man walk into your home enough times and hear that he's failing and hear that he's disappointed, guess how he'll feel about walking into the home? <laughs> Take the stick. Throw the stick. Dog doesn't know what he's doing. He trips. He stumbles in the direction of the stick. You, what do you do? You go, good dog. Good dog. Wonderful. The dog's going, I don't know what I did, but this is fun. <laughs> you take the stick, you throw the stick again, and this time the dog's a little confused, but he takes a step toward the stick. Good dog! What a wonderful dog! <laughs> There'll be no time you'll have that dog fetching. Matter of fact, you, you, you'll come home, and that dog will be at the door with the stick saying, can we play that fun game again? Ladies, you honor your husband when he even stumbles in the right direction. Man, I am so proud of you. I I wanted you to spend time with the kids, and tonight when you walked in the door, you said, hi, good husband, good job, good job. 
Now see, this brings fear to most women because they go, if I tell him that, he'll think that's it. He'll, he'll think all I ever want is for him to say hi. No, 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 no. You don't understand the power of your praise. That, that if he begins to figure out that he can hear your applause, you ready? That he can be your hero. He will say, how do I do that better? How do I do that more often? How do I make the applause louder? And don't be surprised, ladies, if when you come home, he's there with a stick and says, can we play that applause game again? So deeply in the heart of the man is the desire to be your hero. Second thing, second thing that a man is hoping for from his wife, second thing on his list, companionship. You, you get that men bond not by talking, but by doing together, by accomplishing together, by climbing together, by killing something and eating it together. That's how, that's how men bond. And, and if you doubt that for even a moment, stop and, think, stop and think about when you've seen men doing, working, climbing sports together. They do things in that moment that they wouldn't do in any other context. Think about the Super Bowl Sunday, millions upon millions upon millions of people watching these men on TV, and some guy scores the touchdown. All of a sudden, they're patting each other on the rear. What other moment in life would you see that? You couldn't pay him a hundred bucks to go pat another man like that any other time. Why then? Because we are accomplishing, we are doing, we are bonding together. They'll hug each other, they'll throw each other. Why? Because men bond around accomplishment. Ladies, when you got married, he thought he was getting a partner. He thought he was getting someone who would walk through life shoulder to shoulder with him, who would bond with him, are you ready? By doing with him at his side. And then what happens? Children. And all of a sudden, in the heart of a woman, she, she sees that which is needy, she sees that which is weak, she sees that which needs to be defended, and guess what she does? She turns, and the heart of the man says, what happened to my partner? Oh, but it's okay because it's for the kid. No. Ladies, can I just say to you, there is someone capable of watching the children at least one night a week. I know it's not your mother-in-law, she's already proved she can't, but there's a 12-year-old somewhere who is capable of watching so that you can go do alongside him because, you ready for this? He bonds by doing, by being. I remember when I was a young man, my Uncle Marty would take me hunting. My, my Uncle Marty was a man's man. I mean, this guy had hair where a man should have hair. He had breath like a man. 
He killed things and ate it like a man. I mean, he was a man's man, and, and he would take me hunting. And, and I remember that my Aunt Peggy would go on hunting trips. And I can remember as, as a young man going, that, that's weird. I, I don't get it. She, she doesn't even carry a gun. Now, how can this be fun? All she does is she's there, and she's cooking, and then she hangs out at the camp till we come back, and then she has to listen to all of our hunting stories together. And I, I don't get it. Why, why does Aunt Peggy even come along? She's a girl. My Aunt Peggy was a woman of incredible wisdom. You know what she knew? She knew that men bonded by doing and that by being there, she injected herself into part of a story. You, you get ladies that, that men tell stories over and over again, the same dumb story. You know, they'll be going, oh, remember when we were four-wheel driving and we, we were going up that hill? You know, because the hill gets steeper every time you tell the story, right? And remember, remember, remember Jeff, you know, he was going up the hill and all of a sudden the tires were slipping and, and, and his eyes got this big and you could tell he was freaked out and I, I thought he was going to pee or something. And then, and then in the last minute he, he gunned it and the truck slid and it up over the top. Man, Jeff, I thought you'd lost it. You were a man that day, man. High five, all right, high five. It's been 10 years. They're still high fiving. Why? Because men give honor in the telling and the giving of their stories. Because we bond as we do. My Aunt Peggy knew that. She was there for the story. About a year ago, my Aunt Peggy died. I watched a man's man, weep, weep, because his partner was gone, because his shoulder to shoulder was gone. Lisa goes golfing with me, and I'm just going to be, she doesn't like golfing that much. The, the truth is, she, she can think of a hundred other things she'd rather do with $30, like buy shoes. <laughs> she golfs with me because she knows that in the four hours of sitting on a golf cart together, I might accidentally talk. <laughs> and that somewhere in that day, as I do a good shot or the ball bounces into the hole that I have to have someone there to high five. See, I have to have someone with me to tell the story with, to bond with. At least I'm just telling you, he believed when he married you, it was shoulder to shoulder, that you were with him. It's a desperate need of every man, is your companionship. Last one. And you knew I was going to say this one, so it shouldn't shock you too much. Not only do men need honor, not only do men need companionship. Anybody want to guess? <laughs> Sex. <laughs> Ladies, if, if I could help you see this from a man's point of view, and I know you don't, I get you don't. Matter of fact, it's, it's really interesting because if you ask women 
what they view sex, women would say to you, uh, well, sex is a celebration of our relationship. See, if, if, if the marriage is going well, and if I feel deeply loved, then, then I'm, I'm more than happy to celebrate. I, I feel physically attracted to him when everything's on course. It's the celebration of our relationship. You realize men don't think of it that way, right? Uh, men think sex is the beginning of a relationship. If we could have sex, then maybe we could connect. Okay, uh, it's, it's the starting point. And, and guys, ladies, you can't, I know that's weird, I know that's strange, but th th that's just how God wired your man. Matter of fact, that's the reason I can almost promise you that somewhere, somewhere early on in your relationship, you guys got in a fight. And, and uh, when the fight was over, uh, he said, uh, hey, uh, now that we're done fighting, uh, you wanna? <laughs> now, he only did that once because you shared with him how stupid that question was in that moment, but in maleness, in, in blue, that really wasn't that crazy of a comment. Let me tell you why. Because to him, physical desire equals approval. And what he was really saying in that moment is, I know we just fought, but you know what? The truth is, I, st I still care. I still approve you. Could we go approve each other? Ladies, if that's true, if, if physical desire equals approval, can I just suggest to you that the last thing you want is him not to desire you? You want him chasing you because it means his heart is trying to do this. And I know, I know, I know, I know. I know when he's failed and I know when he's blown it that the last thing you want is to be physical. But what does it mean to you that his heart is trying to do this, is trying to speak approval and bring approval? Talk to a man who struggles with pornography, and you know what they will tell you over and over and over again? Almost more difficult to walk away is not just the images, it's the eyes. Because here's what every pornographer knows. Every woman on every page looks longingly. See, every woman on every page in her eyes says, I want you physically. And a man views that, even though she doesn't know him, even though she's only on a piece of paper, as approval. And I can't tell you how many times I've had a man say, the reason this is so hard to get away from and the reason this is so consuming in my life is because I can't remember the last time my wife looked at me that way with approval. So here's what we're asking tonight. What would happen? What would happen in the heart of your husband if his wife in this moment simply said, hey, you know what, I do, I've got this list, and the truth is, I got a whole bunch of things that we haven't gotten done on my list, but I love you enough tonight to take my list and submit it and make it number two. I love you enough tonight to say, I'll be the wife you always hoped that I would be. It'd change your marriage.
it would change your relationship. It would break the crazy cycle. It simply takes enough courage to be the one that goes first. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, this, this is hard for us because we, every one of us, every one of us in this room has the list, the, the list of expectations that we came to marriage with, and we keep waiting for our partner, for our spouse to fulfill the list, and they keep letting us down. And so we're not that excited about working on their list. And yet, Ephesians is just so absolutely clear that, that the way you break the crazy cycle is when someone goes first. When, when a husband loves his wife enough to say, I'm done waiting for you to go first. I'll go first. And I'll make your list your hopes, what you always wanted a man to be in your life first. It's when a wife says, I will fill your soul. I will admire you and honor you as my husband. I will do life side by side with you. And I will show you my desire for you and my approval of you as a man. And suddenly, God, our marriages are changed because someone went first. Oh, God, may our women honor enough. May our men love enough to go first. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.